not just Florida, but across the country, people of color receive harsher sentences. So he's, he, he's racially segregating the state so that they can focus the resources that they are willing to put into education or services on short timers at incentivized camps, which are disproportionately white. And meanwhile, they are rounding up Black activists who speak out about conditions and relegating them to long-term solitary confinement. Welcome to KiteLine, a weekly radio program from WFHB that focuses on issues in the prison system and beyond. Behind the prison walls, a message is called a kite. Whispered words, a note passed hand to hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on KiteLine, we hope to share these words across the prison walls. Before starting with this week's theme, we wanted to share some prison-related news and announcements. The coronavirus is tearing through Iowa's prisons, infecting more than 3,400 incarcerated individuals and staff, killing eight inmates and one employee. The Anamosa State Penitentiary is one of the hardest hit institutions, where more than three quarters of the incarcerated population have contracted COVID-19. As of Friday, more than 77% of the people incarcerated at Anamosa tested positive for COVID-19, according to a state tally three people have died. An additional 124 staff members have reported contracting the virus. COVID has taken hold in Iowa's prisons to a greater extent than almost anywhere else in the country. According to an analysis by the Marshall Project, Iowa ranks fourth in the nation for highest rate of COVID infections among its prisoners. And of last Thursday, Jones County, home of Anamosa, had the highest rate of new cases in the state according to an analysis by the New York Times. By Friday morning, Jones County was surpassed by the rate of new cases in Calhoun County, home of the North Central Correctional Facility in Rockwell City, where 90% of incarcerated individuals have tested positive for COVID-19. Earlier this week, Hundreds of prisoners staged a major revolt at the Amon Prison in Florence, Arizona. A unit was trashed, and the prisoners were only subdued with the use of tear gas and flashbang grenades. More than 400 prisoners have suffered from COVID-19 at the facility, and family members of prisoners indicated that anger over conditions was a driving factor in the rebellion. A new report by researchers at the University of Nebraska at Omaha notes, that Black Nebraskans constitute an unusually large number in proportion of people arrested and incarcerated in relation to their population. One of the researchers said implicit bias and sentencing guidelines might contribute to the disparities, but that more research is needed. The average number of arrests of Black people in Nebraska from 2014 to 19 was 19% of all arrests, though African Americans constitute 5% of the state's population. In comparison, whites are 89% of the state's population, but constituted 76% of the arrests in the study. Statewide, the percentage of white people's arrests had declined slightly year after year since 2014, whereas the percentage of black people's arrests has risen slightly. 
The report finds that the disparities in incarceration are even larger than those in arrests. White people constituted 52% of those incarcerated at jails and prisons in 2018, 36 percent points below their population statewide. Black people were overrepresented by five times their population. Lisa Montgomery, who we spoke about last week, has had her execution date moved back. Held at the federal penitentiary in Terre Haute, Indiana, the government is now planning to kill her on January 12, 2021. A new report by the Maryland Center for Economic Policy finds that increased incarceration and decreasing public safety result from cutbacks in housing, healthcare, public transportation, and economic opportunities, and the criminalization of underground economy jobs, such as sex work and the sale of illicit drugs. The report says that there is scant evidence that heavy sentencing leads to healthy economies and safer communities. The report finds that African-American Marylanders are four and a half times more likely to be incarcerated than any other racial or ethnic group. Indigenous Marylanders are twice as likely to serve prison sentences than any other racial or ethnic group. Of the 50 states, Maryland has the highest rate of incarceration of black men. Although they constitute only 31% of the state's population, African-Americans make up 70% of the prison population. The center recommends legalizing jobs in the underground economy, ending the criminalization of poverty and implementing through sentencing reform to decrease the state's prison population. The report suggests that investment in public schools, public spaces, and sufficient drug treatment is the route to a healthy economy and public safety. The report also suggests that decreasing the state's prison budget will lead to a healthier economy and increased public safety. Maryland currently spends about $1 billion of its budget on imprisoning people. Lauren Reed is an indigenous activist in Arizona who was arrested in June as a result of Facebook posts made during the George Floyd uprising. Outside supporters across the country acted in solidarity with him this Thanksgiving, highlighting his case and those of hundreds of others still imprisoned for participating in the uprising. In Bloomington, activists hung a banner reading, Free Lauren Reed, Rise Up and End 500 Years of Colonization. Free them all. There is an uproar in the Ugodi Gate area of Ibadan in the Nigerian state of Oyo following a clash between commercial motorcyclists and officials of the Ogodi Correctional Center on November 24th. The unrest started after a prison vehicle reportedly fatally hit a commercial motorcycle rider outside of the prison. Police and other security agents were deployed in the area to attempt to gain control of the escalating situation. Two people were allegedly shot during the clash. For our episode this week, we share more from Florida Prisoner Solidarity. Last week, they told us about drastic retaliatory measures prisoners were being subjected to in the Florida Department of Corrections. This week, they continue to shine a light on the conditions, including how prisoners are targeted and punished for speaking out. Here they are. One prisoner who has been particularly outspoken about the conditions inside the Florida Department of Corrections 
is a comrade of ours named Keith Sones. He is in on a life sentence. He's been in for 15 years. He was recently sentenced to at least a year and a half of closed management, which is our solitary confinement. I say at least a year and a half because you have to work your way off of closed management and there's no guarantee that you will. Plenty of people spend years and even decades back there. So Keith has written for the San Francisco Bay View. He has shared a lot of his writings and insight at various um, conferences and events. He is a solid um, reporter on conditions and the worsening conditions inside Florida prisons. Um, he's been marked and targeted by the Department of Corrections. However, he's never had a violent or quote unquote disruptive disciplinary um, report in his 15 years of incarceration. So the fact that they picked him up without any incident and were able to get him approved for closed management, which usually requires you know, something to go down, um, they're accusing him of promoting, well, actually, if you don't mind, I can read to you his referral for closed management. It's all but two sentences. Um, so normally they have to present a whole bunch of evidence to get somebody literally sent to a single person cell, 24 seven lockdown in the darkest dungeon in our state, which is Florida State Prison, for at least a year and a half, he will stay there. So this is their explanation, it says. Through credible intelligence, inmate Sones has been verifiably linked to actions involving organizing and encouraging disturbance and unrest type activities in the community and inmate population. This information was gained through observed behavior and reliable investigative sources. Okay, so that's all it takes um, for a person to be relegated to um, solitary confinement here in Florida, and that means one phone call a month, um, no visits, um, very limited canteen, and he's on a wing where prisoners are not allowed to communicate, um, even with the prisoners in the cells next to them, um, under the threat of being um, gassed with chemical agents. He has sent us a list of every gassing that he's witnessed since he's been there, um, in June, and it is, it's extensive. That is, those are the conditions he's going to exist under for the next year and a half, and from what we've seen, um, probably more. Keith has been targeted for his connections to the Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee, and in his STG file, he's labeled as a Black Panther, which the Florida Department of Corrections sees as a gang, not a political party, and, um, that is what they're using to warrant his placement in this uh, unit. And you know we're still unsure of how this new administrative management unit is going to affect all of these folks who have been um, sentenced to solitary confinement. You know, if they'll make it out of closed management or if they'll be transferred to administrative management, which could be forever. You know, you can be on that forever. Um, the warden who guess testified against him, um, claimed that he is a security threat at that institution that he was at and at any institution. So that tells us that they don't believe it's safe for them, for him to be anywhere. Disproportionately targeting him because he's Black and because he engages in political education. Okay, in 15 years of incarceration, Keith has had one disciplinary 
report that resulted from a violent encounter, which was with his cellmate at the time, who he couldn't escape the situation. He was uh, locked in a confinement cell with a person who had some sort of episode that, you know, he was brought into and written up for, you know, alongside his cellmate. So in 15 years of incarceration, he has dated or been involved in, in even a fight. Um, he is the loudest proponent of peaceful strategies. <laughs> and um, he is the person who di directly wrote first the secretary of the Department of Corrections and then the governor when he saw conditions that needed attention, you know, and in this case, COVID related, you know, he reported on those conditions, he appealed directly to the secretary of the department, and he is being accused of promoting violence. Okay, so since Keith has been sent to the closed management unit at Florida State Prison, he has spent his time documenting all of the abuse and violence at the hands of the guards. And he's sent us a list of incidents that have taken place that he's been able to witness. And this is just on his wing of his dorm. So on, of this year, on 7:27 at approximately 12 a.m., prisoner was brought to B1 dormitory from C1 dormitory where he had already been gassed. He was placed in B114 cell. I fell asleep off and on during the night to his loud banging and screaming and cussing. Around 421 a.m. he was gassed and at 454 a.m. he was gassed again and left in the cell with handcuffs on. Being to psych emergency repeatedly, said he was going through all this because he screamed PRIA, which is the Prison Rape Elimination Act, on an overseer, meaning he had accused a guard of rape, and now this was happening. On 7-28, at approximately 10-15 a.m. in C1 dormitory, prisoner getting jumped on by overseers in the shower area on the second floor. 7-28, at 10-50 p.m., prison Prisoner in B1327 popped the sprinkler in their cell. 11.09 p.m. Prisoners being gassed. 7.28. 11.36 p.m. Prisoner in B1111 cell being placed on strip. Um, for those who don't know, strip cell is when they put you in a cell in just your underwear and take all of your property away um, and claim that you are attempting to cause harm to yourself. 8-2, approximately 12.30 a.m., prisoner gassed, he said in retaliation. 8-3, between 7 and 9 a.m., prisoner again in B1114 cell being gassed. 8-6, approximately 10.18 p.m., prisoner being gassed. 8-7, 12.19 p.m., overseers, Captain Lynch, prisoner from B1 201 cell being beaten by overseers in the shower area because prisoner has a lawsuit going on against FDOC. Prisoner is in full restraints, hands and feet. Two prisoners on the same floor running the extraction team. Two other prisoners popped their cell sprinklers. One prisoner has cut himself in B1225 cell. Lots of blood on his cell door window. He's giving his information to friends on the back windows of the cell in Spanish. He thinks he's going to bleed to death. The overseers wouldn't help him. They are letting him bleed. 
August 13th, approximately 1.50 p.m., prisoner in cell B-1128 being gassed. 3.40 p.m., prisoner was being gassed again in B-112 cell. He was gassed again in the shower during decontamination. August 13th, approximately 4.35 p.m., B-1209 cell, prisoner bleeding, nurse doing rounds and medication, saw prisoner bleeding and kept walking. Another prisoner informed her that the prisoner in B-1209 was bleeding to death. She responded, oh, well. The prisoner asked, oh, you just gonna let him die? She responded, let him die. August 17th, approximately 4.02 p.m., cell C1107, mentally ill prisoner being gassed, screaming. August 18th, approximately 8 p.m., big situation going on, third floor in BL dormitory, lots of overseers, lots of banging on cell doors and windows. August 24th, approximately 9.40 a.m., cell B1114, prisoner being gassed again, unfazed. August 24th, approximately 1.05 p.m., cell B1227, prisoner denied his lunch tray, prisoner kicking on cell door about his lunch meal. August 24th, approximately 3 p.m., cell 1B209, prisoner being gassed. August 25th, approximately 12 p.m., cell 1B209, prisoner being gassed. August 25th, approximately 3.20 p.m., cell B1029, prisoner being gassed. August 26th, approximately 10.02 a.m., cell 1321, prisoner being beaten by overseers of extraction team in the cell. August 26th, cell B1128, prisoner denied his lunch tray by Sergeant Kurt. August 26th, prisoner in cell C1104, placed on strip, which means property restriction, and pending a DR due to overseer conducting legal mail, ripping up his legal mail at his cell door the day prior. August 25th, approximately 9 to 9.20 a.m. For prisoner voice opinion about his legal mail being torn. August 26th, approximately 2.40 to 2.50 p.m., cell 1229, prisoner being gassed. August 26th, cell B1227, prisoner has handcuff key and handcuffs in his cell, took keys from overseer trying to uncuff him. August 28th, approximately 11.40 p.m., cell B1227, prisoner being gassed, approximately 12.08 a.m., prisoner in cell B1227 being beaten by extraction team. August 29th, approximately 9.55 p.m., J1 dormitory, third floor, prisoner being gassed, can't see which cell, and prisoners are not talking fear of retaliation. October 4th, approximately 11.01 p.m., J1 dormitory, second floor, prisoner being gassed, 60 degree temp. October 5th, approximately 2.42 p.m., J1 dormitory, third floor, prisoner gassed. 3.11 p.m., extraction team, bomb rushes cell, prisoner escorted from cell, face bloody, decontaminated, brought back upstairs, prisoner wearing spit shield over his face, escorted by many overseers. I know we told you about delivering Keith's letter to the governor, and he had also sent a letter to the secretary of the Department of Corrections, Mark Inge, 
and Mark Inch forwarded that letter to the assistant warden at Keith's prison, John Holtz. And that is who started the investigation and placed him on closed management. Keith appealed directly to the secretary of the Department of Corrections, who then forwarded his appeal to his warden, who then investigated him and sentenced him to a year and a half solitary confinement. And the letter was outlining worsening conditions amidst COVID. Us being Florida Prisoner Solidarity, formerly Gainesville IWOC, being labeled a security threat group, and our people being labeled under our, under the group or under the um, STI individual label affects their ability to get visits, to get phone calls, affects their ability to get jobs they want to be at certain facilities. For Keith, they transferred him from a facility he's been at for a number of years to Florida State Prison because it's the worst of the worst. Florida is definitely planning for the future. They're taking away material support, taking away communication, and they're limiting people's actual movement to the point where our comrades inside never leave their cells. We have talked to a lot of different supporters and organizations and lawyers to try to uh, figure out best strategies moving forward. And because the Department of Correction does not operate under or within any laws, there's literally no uh, legal recourse for challenging any of these decisions or any of these placements on closed management. There is no avenues in place um, within their system to uh, demand that our people be returned to general population. So the most useful moving forward support is really what it comes down to and shining a light on, on this situation. I mean, the fact that Florida has taken no measures to protect people and have initiated so many new measures to harm and limit people's communication, it's really disheartening. And, it, and it's, you know, we, I guess shining a light on this so that people understand like, how violent incarceration is and how extra careless the state of Florida is with people's lives. Um, they have spent immeasurable effort on investigating people simply for mailing out descriptions of worsening conditions inside. Our comrades have already, you know, they're trying to silence them. They're trying to bury them. They're putting them in the deepest, darkest places in our massive prison system. So what we need to do is undermine those efforts. You know, we need to keep in communication. We need to support our people inside and we need to get the word out about what's going on on the streets and in our prisons. We need to oppose this new law that would basically make protesting a, a felony and give license to anybody who wanted to get in their car and go uh, run a protester over. Um, so mobilizing in support of our people up inside and to oppose these new measures is, you know, what we can do right now. I would ask people to check out Florida Prisoner Solidarity so we can share information about people inside who do welcome uh, mail and books. 
Um, we want to stay focused on the political education that we have been working towards um, and alongside our comrades inside. You know, and they're trying to take away our ability to provide material support to people. You know, when you're in solitary confinement in Florida, you're not allowed to order from the canteen the way other prisoners are. You're only allowed to order like five items or something a week. So we we do our best to try to make sure that um, people in our communities have what they need. You know, I mean, that's what it comes down to. And they're doing their best to try to keep that from happening. So in any way that we can undermine their desire to keep us silenced and to keep us separated, you know, that's what we've got to focus on. Mark Inch is the director of the Florida Department of Corrections. He came to Florida recruited by the state and used to be in charge of the Bureau of Prisons, the federal prisons across the country. Now we see, you know, this systematic intentional rule change for repression and silencing that is more targeting of our comrades inside than we've ever seen in the number of years that we've been organizing under whatever name that may have been. Mark Inch was brought into restructure the Florida prison system. And what he's done so far is, you know, as we said, he created the administrative management unit. And what he's doing is he's shifting the little resources that the Department of Correction has and focusing them on what he is calling incentivized camps, which are intended for short timers, which are disproportionately white. Um, while the other camps, which um, tend to be up in the panhandle, far away from family and accountability, are for those he deems um, irredeemable or security threat individuals. So our prison system, which has 145 prisons, 50 of which are what you imagine, um, you know, your normal average prison, not a release center or a, a medical camp. There's 50 of those he's shifting the population around um, so that anybody who has under a year or shorter sentences can go to camps and benefit from programming and services while anybody who has a long sentence and has been deemed a security threat or not worth investing in will be sent to the other camp so our our 50 prisons are being um kind of like tiered from the best to the worst and if you are if you have less time they're willing to um, quote unquote invest in you and you might get into like some sort of educational program or have access to inmate packages and communication and as we know um, if we're going by sentences not just Florida but across the country people of color receive harsher sentences so he's he, he's racially segregating the state so that they can focus the resources that they are willing to put into education or services on short timers at incentivized camps, which are disproportionately white. And meanwhile, they are rounding up black activists who speak out about conditions and relegating them to long-term solitary confinement. This has been KiteLine. Anyone can reach us via our P.O. Box, KiteLine Radio, P.O. Box 2422, Bloomington, Indiana, 47402. 
please keep sharing the number for our coronavirus hotline. We'll continue to air messages from prisoners who call in from the inside and family members calling in for support for their loved ones. You can call in on behalf of a loved one or they can call in to record their message about the impact of the coronavirus on their facility at 765-343-6236. You can hear previous episodes of our show at wfhb.org forward slash KiteLine. You can follow KiteLine Radio on all social media platforms. For more information on the stories we air on KiteLine, check out kitelineradio.noblogs.org. Feel free to write us at kiteline at wfhb.org. KiteLine is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. KiteLine, WFHB, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the opinions expressed on the show. Please join us every Friday for more stories, news, and insights about the impact of prison on our community. Thank you for listening.